At this time, let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, shall we? Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. If you find yourself and also to be projected on the screen as well, would you stand with me once again for the reading of God's word? We stand up just out of reverence and respect for the holy word of God. And this is the word of God for us. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at this time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, it might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. At this time, I'm just going to ask you, I'm just going to have us try something that we've not, never done it before so far, which is that I'm going to give you about a minute or so just in silence. Let's just once again slow things down. I've noticed that in my own heart and my witness of our worship that we tend to just go quickly through the worship service. At this time, just for a minute or so, let's just bring our hearts to God. Lord, once again, I want to reorient my heart and myself in your word. I want to rely on your word. Surrender whatever that's on your heart, whatever is heavy on your heart. Let's just bring that to God in silence. And I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive into the word of God. Let's pray.
So, Father, as we continue our worship, we just ask that at this time, as we sit under your word, I pray that you will open our hearts, open our eyes, and open our ears and open our hands so that we will not only listen and understand the logic of this passage, but we will be able to apply into our daily lives. Encourage those who are discouraged. Restore the brokenhearted. Speak to those who need your word at this time. So may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How was it? One minute, it's kind of long, huh? One minute is, yeah, I just want to try it uh, for us. We're not used to slowing down, especially during worship service. But we want to remind ourselves, this is not just an event that we just go through quickly. And let's get out of here. Super Bowl is coming up. Um, No, it's not that. We want to really enjoy and surrender ourselves in the presence of God. And today's message is on citizens becoming becoming fellow citizens. And becoming a citizen, um, I don't know if you really relate to this, but becoming a citizen is a huge matter. Many of you guys already know this, that um, I came to U.S. when I was 17, and I lived on a student visa about 10 plus years. So I got my green card last year. So uh, I can relate to all the things that you know the foreigners can experience. Um, one thing was, Just for the past 11 or 13 years or so, when we were on student visa or work visa, we experienced that, my wife and I experienced that, this country is basically telling us, you are foreigners, period, right? I get that, right? Because we were foreigners, right? At DMV um, renewal, um, my wife just got a, just renew her driver's license after she got the green card, and it says 10 years. It expires in 10 years. the longest we got in the past was two years or three years max because that's when our visa would expire. So what, three years we have to come back here again? Uh, it was always like that, especially in the airport. Uh, when we were in line, especially international flights. Um, there, I don't know if it's still there, but it used to be that there is a green card holder and uh, re- permanent residence and citizens only line and there's like a foreigners line, right? And then there's a severe... A security check, and there's sort of an interrog- interviews that I felt more like as interrogation. Why are you here? When are you leaving? Who are you meeting with? Again, why are you here? <laughs> right? uh, do you like U.S. kind of thing? I was asked all these questions. Like, yeah, I, I like your country. I like it. Um, but we really felt that this country is actually all for citizens when we had our baby, Niall. When she was born, we actually stayed in the hospital two days, only two days. In our minds, like two days, they're not going to do anything, right? And within two days, we have over five different social workers stopping by at our room and saying, oh, this is all the documents that she needs. And, make sh- and they were telling us, they were, they were interviewing us and congratulating us, and one by one just telling us, yeah, this is what she gets, and this is the benefits, this is insurance. We had no idea that there were so many options for her. And what we felt was that the whole nation, she was basically one of America. The America was welcoming her 
and they were ready to protect her and support her and telling us, don't mess up, <laughs> love her and take care of her, and we are here. We strongly felt that support uh, for the social workers and the hospital and everybody else. So being a citizen is a huge, huge matter. It is true now, but it was truer back then in Paul's days, especially. Being a Roman citizen in a predominantly uh, Greco-Roman society, Greco-Roman world, was like the best thing you could hope to have in the world, right? Once you have it, if you remember in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul once got caught by Rome, and it turned out he was actually a Roman citizen. They couldn't do anything. Oh, we don't do anything to you because you're one of us, right? That kind of thing. Um, But in our passage, we just read, it was a lot of stuff. It's going to try to unpack for us. But what Paul is essentially saying is, there's a better citizenship here that we have if you are in Christ. That's better than the citizenship of the U.S. That's better than the citizenship of being a Roman citizen, and which is being a citizen in the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, the Bible says you have that citizenship in the kingdom of God. Amen? You have that. You already have it. So that makes us fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. But if we're honest, if we examine ourselves honestly, a lot of times we operate like, not really like fellow citizens, but we're we're acting more like um, citizens of different tribes. We gather with a group of people based on, I don't know, ideology, sometimes politics, education, religion, nationality, ethnicity, Based on all these different things, we are more often divided than united, right? And when when experiencing all these things that come into the church, we see that how church can be easily divided into different groups, right? We see that in the Bible. We see, we experience that in different churches. Perhaps that might be the reality in our ministry as well. Who knows? Our hearts, we only know this and only God knows that our hearts may be divided, even though we may be one here together. Right? So sometimes when we think about unity, it comes with a big question mark. If not despair, if not suspicion or doubt, is it possible? Is unity really possible? Right? But here in, the, in, in Paul's letter, especially in this passage that we read, Paul is saying the gospel is greater and more powerful than human fractures and human divisions. The gospel is, is the message and announcements that brought our dead soul to life. It wasn't, remember, it wasn't that we were, our soul was struggling and crying out to God, God save me. The gospel picture at its, at its reality is that we were actually dead. We're drowning. We were dead. And God came to us, pulled us up water, and he resurrected us, right? And that powerful gospel can still bring us together in oneness and togetherness and in unity beyond any reasons and all the reasons and all the barriers of all kinds. Amen to this. Amen? As we amen, as we say this, I'm only asking you to say it because in our experiences, we don't really believe it. Because as I was preparing, I was asking God, I kinda, I'm kind of torn in this, God, because this is what your word says. I've never experienced this before. 
So I don't know. We're in a journey together. We're finding out together how the gospel really can bring us together. And sometimes when our, our, our soul may be there, but our body, our experiences don't match up, what we can do, the best thing we can do is just say, Amen, God. Yes, may your word be true in my life. It might not be not right now, but I trust that your word will be true in my life. Lead me, speak to me. So unity may be impossible to us and in the world, but there's nothing that's impossible in our God. So in our text, how Paul is approaching this topic is by going to the past, present, and I call it, then now what? And that is the direction of the message. The past focusing on this question, what divided us from one another in the past? And then present, and it says, what unites us to one another, right? And then third is, not exactly for the future, but from now at this point, understand the past, and now in light of the present life we have in Christ, then how can we grow as united fellow citizens? I don't believe that spirit can do anything, but I don't believe in my power of my words, that I, believe, I don't believe that one sermon can really change anybody's perspective on unity. But what I believe is that God's work can start this new journey in our hearts. It might not be in my experience. That having that oneness, togetherness, and unity, despite the disagreements and this, uh, uh, divisions, may not be possible in our hearts, but it is possible because our God said so. Amen? And we want this journey to begun in our hearts by the power of the Spirit. So the first thing that we see is past. What divided us from one another? What divided us? The cause of very human division, Paul says, is sin. Right? Look at me in verse 11 and 12. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what's called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? If, you, if you look at this from direct reading, Paul says the Gentiles, us, we used to be in a spiritually worse place than the Jews. Is that right? It is right. right? Why is that? Because we were separated, we were alienated, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. We had no access to God, as they used to be thing. But as, we, as, the, as the letter progresses, what we're going to see is that it's just not the Gentiles that, the problem, that has the problem of sin. It's both Jews and Gentiles under the same problem of sin. We're going to start with Gentiles. Think about it. We may say, I just had no idea. I just never heard of the gospel. Sometimes that's what Gentiles might have excused themselves. Sometimes maybe some people might excuse themselves. But see, in other letter that Paul wrote to Romans, he says, Gentiles or anyone in Ireland know, has one access to God, which is what's called common grace, which is that through the nature, you get some sense, you get the idea that there must be a God. See, this is what it says in Romans 1, 20 and 21. It says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Right? They're without excuse. 
No Gentile can say, God, I just had no idea that you exist. You knew all along. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. What Paul really here is saying is that if we're honest, the problem with our sins isn't that, oh, I couldn't trust you, God. I couldn't resist the temptations. I couldn't do it. The problem is that we actually gave in ourselves with our own choice. I refused to listen to you. I rejected to take your word as it is. Right? It's not that we couldn't. We didn't because we like the pleasure of sin. We like the, the short gratification that we, we can experience in our lives. Right? But the Jews, that's okay. But the Jews were no better. Right? So Gentiles might say, I know excess, but it's not true. Right? The Jews, look at me in, um, in the middle of verse 11. It says, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called do you see the quotation mark here? That's in a lot, most of our Bibles here. The uncircumcision, in the original language, there's no quotation mark in it. It's a modern scholars so where they put together and translated the original language. They put that quotation mark. You know why? So that the modern readers will get the idea that the Gentiles used to be labeled as the uncircumcised people. Guess who labeled them? The Jews. The Jews label them as, oh, those filthy, disobedient, uncircumcised people. There's no way God would love them. Is that why? Think about this. Is that why God gave them the law and the circumcision and any type of covenant and any blessing to Jews? Is that why God gave them any of these positives and good things they have so that they can label people, abuse people, look down on people? No. God gave them the law and circumcision, covenant and blessings so that they would know and serve the one and true holy God and make his name known to the watching world and say, our God is holy, our God is good, our God is glorious. That was the job. That was the responsibility. Instead, they took the covenant, they took the uncircumcision and says, we're better. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, we're Jews. You're Gentiles. Don't look at me. I'm better. You're, you're just less than me, right? You're, I can't be a citizen with you. And that was cause of the divisions within the Ephesian church and among the Ephesian believers' fellowship. I can't be in one room with you. I can't worship with you because you're Gentile. And I'm a Jew. I'm sorry, but I'm better, right? And that's the tendency that we, we have. And these two reactions or responses that has a root in sin really easily summarize the very cause of human divisions in the world, but also in the church. Right? One clear response is just that we reject recognizing God's goodness and His presence. We reject recognizing God's steady work in things, but also in people, that we tend to grow impatient and we try to fix things on our own. We take matters into our own hands. And we take people into our own hands. We try to fix people. Oh yeah, you're wrong. I'm right. Some of us have no problem. We're going to get there in some later portion in Ephesians. That Paul says, some of us have no problem speaking the truth without love. Right? I'm right, therefore you suck and you listen to me. Right? Another response is that we have this tendency 
to take some positives we have and we use them as a means to put down other people, right? Sort of lift ourselves up and sometimes in doing that, we put down other people. Remember the prayer of Pharisee in Luke 18 where he enters a temple and in my imagination, in, uh, he stands up in the temple and he just raises his hands all the way to heaven and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Guess who was in the same temple with him? Sinner, right? Tax collector, Gentile. And he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes. I am circumcised. I am holy. And thank goodness I'm not like them. We use some of the good blessings God has given us and we take that and as a means to sort of abuse people. We look down at them. Right? And that's two of, it might seem like there must, there must be more reasons, but see what the Bible shows us. It's, it's the root of human divisions. It's really the sin that either we put them down right, in, in, in trying to lift ourselves up once we were divided because of sin, and today still there's a division in the world and in the church. I don't have to contextualize it because we already, as you heard it, I know that many of us already heard the voice once we said or once we heard before. Yeah, I can't be in the same room with you or I just know better, I'm just better. All these divisions, cause of divisions. And Paul says, we used to be without hope. Not just Gentiles, the Jews also. But in Christ, still there's a sin residue. We still have the leftovers of sin we struggle with, but we have hope and unity is possible. And that's where Paul is going with this letter. Unity is possible, not because of our inherent goodness, but because of the goodness of God that came from outside. And that takes the second, which is focusing on the present. What unites us to one another. Now, sin is powerful, right? If, if Paul hasn't been making clear throughout this letter or in some sense, as we continue our series, you felt like, oh, sin is like doable, like manageable, that I messed up, right? Because God's clear on this. Sin is overwhelmingly powerful. We cannot overcome sin with our own might and with our own strategy. We can't do it. And it divides relationships and communities. But now Paul says, in Christ, we've already been united, right? You see that we've been already united. It's already happened. What happened is that Jesus Christ came to us, right? And specifically, he died for us on the cross, not just for Gentiles, but for the Jews. Not only for Jews, but for Gentiles. For all sinners, Jesus took the cross, says in verse 13, 14, 16, I'm just going to see it. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who are, you once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're going to see Paul's emphasis on the blood and death of Jesus on the cross. It says, verse 13, He who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Right? 16 says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body, Through what? Through the cross. Through the cross. Christ's death and his blood on the cross brought us near to one another. 
It means no matter how high and wide the walls of hostility that separate us from one another, if the cross of Jesus takes a proper place in our hearts, unity can be restored. Unity is possible. Our conversations and even disagreements can construct unity, not division. We can agree to disagree and we can still love one another. Age, culture, education, race, nationality can no longer be stumbling blocks to our fellowship because these are not what bring us together. It's the cross of Jesus alone that brings us together. Amen? It's the cross alone that makes us one. And what this means is reconciliation is also possible. I don't know, in, in the history of this church, I don't, I don't have much information about the relationship dynamics here, but <laughs> it, I don't have to know because I just know, right? Over the years, some of, many of you guys grew up together in this church, right? I don't believe that there has been no problem no divisions, no fight, no disagreements, right? It's, where humans are, there are always divisions. There are always some form of frictions, right? And remember that Paul is speaking to believers in Ephesus, made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Between Gentiles and Jews, there were long years of cultural barriers, long years of hatred, disagreements, resentments, disappointments, and anger. All these things together and all these people set together in worship service, Bible studies, and fellowship. And Paul is not telling them to start a new church. See that? Paul is saying to the Gentile believers, all right, just forget the Jews and go ahead and make your own church. And, and go to J- Jews, okay, just, you know, you guys are better. So you go ahead and make your own church. Just don't worry about the Gentiles, <laughs> which sadly a lot of times we see that, right? But no, he's telling them, to reconcile. Why? And how? Because Christ reconciled you to God. Then we can do it if we're in Christ. And that's why when we take communion, have you noticed that? When we take communion, communion doesn't really make us focus on the resurrection of Jesus. It makes us only focus on one thing, which is the death of Christ. He died for us. That makes us one. Only the cross, the blood-shedding work of Jesus on the cross can only, only that can make us one. A great preacher in the modern church named Martin Lloyd-Jones, he kind of explained what it means to reconcile with one another. There are like five points that he says. I'm just going to make it shorter, and then just think about it as I just read to you. The first thing what it means to reconcile with one another, it's a, he says it means a change from a hostile to a friendly relationship. Right? Once some of us had that grudge against one another, now there's a friendly relationship. Second thing he says, not only do we have friendship now, not only is that, we, okay, I can, I can bear you, I can be a friend with you, but not only that, but we now have unity and connection. We're connected. And third, he says the word reconciliation emphasizes the completeness of the action, meaning the divisions, hatred between different groups are gone. It's not that, okay, it's a progress. I'll try to bear you, try to forgive you. I can't forget it, but I'll try to forget it. It's not that. It's done. That's how it works. Reconciliation is just 
done in Christ. And fourthly, he says, it means more than not fighting and not hating each other, now you voluntarily work together. Right? Can you work with the person that you, have, you used to have grudges against? Right? That's telling about our soul. We might say, I've forgiven you, i moved on. But when we are in a position to work with somebody that we used to have grudges, then it's showing. I, I can't work together. We say, oh, because we're going to fight again. I don't want to fight. Reconciliation is that it's gone. We can work together. And we can redeem this past history. And last one, he says, reconciliation means a restoration of something that was there before. And I want to highlight on this one. Reconciliation means a restoration of something that was there before. Well, think about this. What was there before sin? There was perfect fellowship and perfect unity. Right? Where? In the Garden of Eden. There was nothing to hide from one another. And they, Adam and Eve, they embraced each other in their differences and uniquely created as the image bearers of God. Right? Women, men are different. They still agreed and they saw the differences and still embraced one another. There was a perfect fellowship. How do we know that? The Bible says they were naked to one another, not just in bodily form, but also spiritually, because they're perfectly okay being, a, being just shown and being vulnerable with one another. Right? And what happened after sin, after the fall, is that we cannot be vulnerable with one another. We struggle. We want to hide, not only from God, but from one another. Right? And what we see is that immediately, Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God comes to Adam. What have you done? What's going on? And Adam says, what? The woman you gave me make, made me eat this fruit. Right? Think about it. When Adam said, the woman you gave me made me eat this fruit, who is he blaming? Eve, but there's one more person that he's blaming. Who is it? It's God. God, you gave me this woman, right? Some of the married couples sometimes blame like that to God. You gave this, I'm just kidding, right? You gave this woman to me, right? And then this woman is the one who made me sin. And then the woman goes, turns to, not to Adam, but turns to serpent and says, serpent gave it to me. And isn't that sort of a reminding, reminder for us of our reaction sometimes when we are in conflict with other people? She did it. He did it. I can't believe they said that to me. They hurt me. It's their fault. They should apologize. They need to suck it up. Or they need to take the consequence. Or they need to be punished. They deserve it. Reconciliation is not something that's in us. Bible's clear on that. We work together, we love one another, we get educated, it's going to happen. No, Bible says, no, reconciliation is not something that's in you. It's not possible. Only the cross of Jesus can bring it to us. He has to bring it to us. When we're in Christ through Jesus, Paul says, that's when we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, do you know this Jesus of the cross? 
Have you put your hope in him? If there's any of you who are wondering at this point, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm Christ. I just want to invite you at this time as we continue our worship, just surrender your life to him. I'm a sinner, God. And I believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. If there's many of you, I know that are already in Christ, then this is possible. Because the word of God is better and greater than our experiences in life. Amen? It's just better than life. And then he made us fellow citizens, right? Then now what? Sorry, there's one more point. It's on the same. Okay. How can we enjoy and the how can we enjoy and use the benefits of citizenship and also take the responsibility as citizens? Actually, how did you know it's gonna be short? Um, the third point is now what then? Uh, we're we're saved. The cross has brought us together, then now what? How can we grow as united fellow citizens? See, being fellow citizens not only comes with privileges, but also it comes with responsibilities, right? One of the responsibilities of the fellow citizens of the kingdom of God is to continue in something and commit in something, right? Last year, I got the green card. China and I, we were extremely happy. Okay, we're welcome. In the brochure, it came that says, welcome to America. Thanks. <laughs> you are welcome here. Okay, we've been living here about 14 years. Appreciate you for that. Finally, we're welcomed. And I realized, well, as soon as we got that welcoming, and it came with the responsibility to pay the amazing amount of tax, go ahead and do it. Okay, okay, yeah. Our God, when he gives us responsibilities with benefits, that's not, I, would, I don't want to say it's not that burdensome, the amount of the income and the tax we have to pay, but what he gives us, this is beautiful about our God, is that when he gives us responsibilities, not just for his sake, not just for his glory, in doing so, in carrying that responsibility, what we see is that it changes our soul once again. It brings us back to him. It's not just a knowledge. It's not just in that we know about the gospel. When we actually continue and commit to God, it actually brings us back closer and closer to Him. So what do we need to continue and commit? Those are the two things I want to share with you as an application. I start with continue. Continue is to, we need to continue to walk in step with the truth of the gospel. Walk in step with the truth of of the gospel. Can we say that together? Continue to walk in step with the truth of the gospel, right? This actually is a direct quote from Paul's words from Galatians. When he was in Antioch, um, he saw Peter, Apostle Peter, was sort of shying from fellowship, fellowshipping with uh, Gentile believers because he felt pressure by Jewish believers because Jewish believers giving him eyes like, you're sitting with Gentiles? I mean, come on, right? you're Jew, you can't sit with them. And he was shying away from them. And Paul said, knowing Paul, he's not really a friendly guy, he's actually mean a little bit. So he directly goes to Paul in front of Peter, in front of everybody, says, you're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. You're segregating yourself from other people based on their race, based on the, how, uh, based on the circumcision, how, based on the past, right? That's not right. That's not right. Gospel brought us together. Gospel is the only power that can continue to make us one. If we, are, we drive away from the cross, from the, from the gospel, unity will be gone in a second. 
the basis of our fellowship should never be something else. When we gather here, when we do church, we can't be that. I know many of us are related as a family in some ways. A lot of people are actually related here, right? But it's not that makes us one and gather together. The moment we base our fellowship on something else, again, there will be divisions, even among families. There will be fractures. Look at each other only through the gospel. When we do fellowship, when we do Bible study, when we worship together, look at one another only through the gospel, not through their failures, not through their past, not through their education, not through their nationality or income. And what does that mean to look at one another through the gospel? That is to remember that I was a sinner, equally sinful being before God in the past. And we have been brought near to God by the grace of God alone. That's it. Nothing makes me better or worse than others in Christ. We're equal in Christ. And then as we continue to walk in step, the truth of the gospel, second, is that we need to commit to serving one another with love. Commit. True, genuine, heartfelt fellowship is not a byproduct of, we hear this word a lot, compatibility. It's not a byproduct of that. True, genuine fellowship is a byproduct of commitment. Imagine a community without commitment. Right? It's like a gym membership. Right? There's a little, my, there's a little confession. <laughs> I have gym membership. Uh, if you come, I want to invite many of you to my, all of you might to my place, the humble place. But when you come, you're going to see that there's a Planet Fitness right, like five steps away from my apartment, right? And I have membership. Guess how many times I go there? I don't go there. <laughs> And sometimes there's a, gro- there's a grocery outlet there, so sometimes I have to go grocery shopping. I walk there. People hold the door for the Planet Fitness. Okay, are you coming in? Oh, no, I'm not going in there. <laughs> I just go past the gym, and then I just go to, uh, for grocery shopping, right? It's like, it's like that, right? There's no accountability. There's no serving one another. There's no loving one another. Just come when you want to. Go whenever you're pleased, you know? As long as you pay for membership, you're good. As long as you show up once a year or once a month, that's good. Commitment is giving yourself to another person completely, yourself, not just time, not just thing. Giving yourself completely to another person. Paradoxically, giving ourselves to another is a way to find life. You know why? Because that's how Jesus saved us. He gave himself, not just three years of his life, not just 33 years of his life, he gave himself from the heaven above. He took on human flesh, he came here, he lived among us, he died for us. Just telling us that I have given you everything of myself. And when we do that, we're actually resembling, we're actually walking in step with the truth of the gospel. Give yourself to one another. That's when we have fellowship. That's when we truly know one another. That's when vulnerability can happen. Transparency. Some of the words that we never use and never want to hear, never want to say, can happen. So brothers and sisters, 
Let's not any, let anything cloud the wonderful gospel of our Jesus. He is the one who brought us to this place, to one another. He made us fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. You have that citizenship. Amen? We have that citizenship. We are the fellow citizenship, citizens, and in the, we're in the family, in the household of God. So let's walk in this gospel and give ourselves vulnerably as Jesus gave himself to us. Can we pray? Again, I want to give you this time of just a couple of minutes. If there's anything that Spirit has stirred in your heart as, you, as we just uh, consider this passage and just go ahead and talk to God about it. For some of us feel encouraged maybe. Yes, God, mm-hmm. unity truly is possible in you and I bless your name. Wonderful. Go ahead. Bless God. For some of us, maybe our experiences from the past sort of cloud your confession to say, God, I trust in you. Maybe you're more hesitant to say, God, I want to trust, but I don't know if it's possible. Again, God has taught us to pray this wonderful prayer. Lord, help me with my unbelief. My experience is that otherwise, but you know better, you are better. So Lord, I trust in you. And there's some of you here, there's maybe few of you here, feeling rather discouraged by this message. And you feel like the sermon is nonsense, not realistic, and I'm just getting upset here. And please don't take that as a message that you are a worse Christian or not a Christian. God is taking you on a different journey. Then take this message. Maybe you might want to just forget this message and just go to God. God, what's going on in my heart? What is it that you're showing me in my heart about community, about fellowship? Let's just talk to God.